0: Thank you so much. God, thank you for being so good. God, thank you for loving us in spite of us, God, for loving us just because you can. Thank you for long-suffering, for grace, for mercy, for kindness, for healing. Thank you, God, that you'd even allow us to come into the throne room of grace, that we might obtain mercy. Thank you, God, that you would allow us to, to pray and Lord, that you'd be mindful of us, that you'd hear, that you'd listen, God. I thank you for the good news. I thank you for a great grandchild God, I thank you for the miracles you've done. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the blessed assurance of those that have crossed over Jordan that are in your presence, God, that though families may be hurting here and now, God, they, they know that that's not the end. There's a better day coming. When we'll all see them again. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this book, God. I thank you for these people in this place tonight. Lord, I pray you'd bless every soul present. I pray you'd help us as we look into your word. God, would you teach us something? Help us to learn something about you, Father, something that would make us a better servant. God, I pray you'd draw us closer to you. And, Lord, I pray most of all on this night and everything we do, may you be pleased. We love you, God. We thank and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 8, if you guys were there, last week we finished up. We were looking at Stephen, and Stephen, of course, was stoned to death. And what we looked at at the closing part is when it seemed devastating to the church. Stephen is one of the first of the seven deacons of the church. This is a man that the Bible says is full of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a man that was well-known, well-liked by everybody within the church, but yet was arrested by the Sanhedrin for preaching the gospel and was carried out in stone for doing absolutely nothing wrong. And it seems like that's the worst thing that could have possibly happened to a Christian. But what we see was that by him being stoned, that Saul comes into the picture and there becomes great persecution in the church. And the church itself came under persecution of the world, persecution uh, of those that were against it, but it was the persecution that accomplished God's will. Remember Acts one eight, Jesus told them there at the ascension that you are to go and to preach the gospel in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. But everything was being done in Jerusalem. No one had gone into all Judea. Certainly, no Jew had gone into Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. They they hadn't gone to the uttermost parts of the earth. So what we saw was it took persecution. In the church to create God's will. I'm just, if you remember last week, we just finished off. Sometimes things don't work like we think they ought to work. Sometimes things just look bad, and there's a lot of questions, and I ask them all why. They don't make sense, but the only thing that we have to always know is God has a plan, and God's plan will be accomplished, it will be fulfilled. No matter how it looks to us, God says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And we see there that God had a plan and he accomplished it. We were at chapter 3 where Saul made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And that's how the gospel was spread from that moment on. And that's kind of where we left off. We left off with Stephen being the first martyr of the church. He was the first one in the newborn church to be carried out and martyred for his faith. But then we move from the first martyr to the first great missionary of the church, in a man by the name of Philip. Philip is also, like Stephen, he's one of the original seven deacons of the church when the Grecians came forward complaining about things. So we know that he's a man of honest report. We know that he's a man filled with the Holy Spirit because that was a requirement for the original deacons in the early church. Verse number 5, it says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and preach Christ unto them. You guys can be seated. I'm not going to read all the way through for the sake of time. We'll just read them as we get to them. If you remember a few weeks ago, the Grecians were complaining because their widows weren't being cared for, and they wanted something done differently. The apostles said, Appoint unto yourselves seven men of honest report. And so they they went out, and they put the, the deacons into place. And we looked at the fact that there are two types of, of hebrews here in the church and there was always a little bit of tension between the two of them you had the, the hebrew jews they were born there in the region of jerusalem they, they were home bodies born home bodies if you remember we looked at they were very narrow-minded in religion they were very strict they were under the law that they, they came under judaism and so they were very narrow-minded those things but we looked at the other were the Hellenist Jews. They were more from the, the Greco-Roman um, type of culture. They, they were born outside Jerusalem, so they grew up in a different kind of culture, so they were a little more subject to things from the outside. I guess you'd say they were a little more willing to put up with some things. Well, Philip is a Hellenist Jew. He comes from the outside, and I don't know if that's of any importance at all, but, but it does make you think that he might be a little more open-minded, that he might be a, a little more open to, to hear things um, or at least, um, I don't know, be a little more tolerable about going to a people because what we see here is that he went to Samaria. And and we all know, if you're on Wednesday night, we know that Samaria is not a place where the Jews go. We've looked at it before, how they wouldn't only just go around. Many of them would cross the Jordan River to go around the region, not just the city, but the entire region. They wouldn't go near Samaria, Samaritans are dogs, they're just, they're common trash to the Jews, they wouldn't have anything to do with them, and yet that's where Philip, the original missionary, heads out, it was a place that was settled by by pagans that came in from the Assyrians and had all the Assyrian gods, so the Jews wanted nothing to do with them, but Jesus went there, Jesus went there for one woman at a well in the middle of the day, and now he sends Philip to this same place. When Philip got to Samaria, he went right to work. He didn't preach the law. He doesn't preach Judaism. He doesn't preach religion. He preaches Jesus Christ. And the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is what changed the hearts of the Samaritans. It's what changed the lives of people. The same thing is true today. It doesn't matter what kind of music we sing. It doesn't matter about the worship team. It doesn't matter if it's contemporary music, southern gospel music, old hymn music. It doesn't matter if it's got a guitar and a drum or a piano and a harp. It doesn't matter. About that, what matters is the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How What we sing and how we sing it is not going to reach a lost and dying world. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes the hearts of men. So when, when Philip gets there, he goes right to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I looked. It's just a curiosity thing. I wonder if the woman at the well was there. It's not been that long since Jesus was there. It's been about five years, maybe. So, I don't know, in that time, I just kind of feel like there's a good chance she might have still been there. If you remember, she went back and told all the city, come see a man, what told me, all things that I ever did. She decided, so I wonder if her family is there. I wonder if the people that she told is there. But one, one thing is for sure, whether she's there or not, Philip preached the gospel, and it says that the people received it. See, they already had religion. Religion's killing a lot of people. Religion sending a lot of people to hell. They already had religion. They already had idols. They already had laws. They already had formalities. They already had Sunday morning services, set to the schedule to a T. They already had all of that. They already had all the false lies. They already had all the promises of the world. Same thing that we have today. You, you, you got all the lies. You got all the things. What they needed was Jesus Christ. What they needed then hasn't changed what we need now. It's Jesus Christ or it's nothing at all. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only way. Philip, Philip broke out. Philip goes into Samaria preaching the gospel, telling them about Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Jesus Christ came and was born in the flesh and became a man for one reason and one reason only, to pay for my sin debt, to die on an old cruel rugged Roman cross, that his blood might be shed, that his blood is holy, that his blood washes away my sin. That's what Philip went to tell them. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life no man comes unto the father but by me that's why the word of god says there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved it's the name of jesus christ philip doesn't go there to waste their time he goes there and preaches jesus christ amen so so philip philip told him about the necessity of the blood he told him about the redeeming power of the blood he told him about the forgiveness of the father through the sacrifice of the son he told him about The blood of the Lamb, and that all else is vain. The text says in verse number six, And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. Many taken with palsies that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. There was great joy. In that city, I'm going to have to hurry. I probably don't have time to run this rabbit, but I'm going to run it for a minute anyway because it's a curiosity question for me. One of the things that we see associated with this miracle is the same thing that we see associated with the miracles of Jesus Christ. They brought all manner of sick from all different places in all form of disease and sickness was healed, and many demons were cast out. So it made me think about a question. What's different about then and now? Is demon possession still real today? Yeah, I say I'm in pretty good company. See, the reason I would say yes is because nowhere in the Word of God does it ever tell me that it ended. Nowhere in the Word of God does it ever say that up until this point, nowhere does it ever give any type of ending. I know that sickness is still here. I know that disease is still here. I know this for a fact. Demon oppression is still here. Demons do everything they can to oppress the children of God. They'll do everything they can to steal your joy, beat you down, get you in depression, cause you anxiety. They'll do anything they can to steal your joy and to cost you your testimony. A demon cannot possess a child of God because we are the temple of the living God. He says that this is the temple, and God is not going to allow a demon in his temple. So the child of God cannot be possessed, but he can be oppressed. But the question is, demon possession, is it, is it still alive today? Well, I, I tend to think so. Um, we give a lot of different names to stuff today. We have phobias, social disorders psychosis, syndromes, depressions, anxieties. We have to have a a name for everything. We have to have a title for everything. And everything that they come in, just give them some medication, right? We have some walking pharmacies walking around on the sidewalks. They got more medication than a public pharmacy in their their pockets, and they have to take it every day. And I'm I'm not putting down the medicine. A lot of people need the medicine they take. A lot of the medicine is very helpful that they take. I'm not putting down the medicine. God gave us the medicine. Amen? I grew up in that old school religion. It was wrong to go to a doctor. If you had faith, you wouldn't go to a doctor hogwash. God gave us a doctor. God made the people smart enough to do that stuff. I believe, man, won't go to the doctor as a nut. That's not a lack of faith. That's why God gave us that stuff. So I'm not putting down medicine. I'm just saying we try to treat everything out of people. But some of it, some of it's not that kind of stuff. Last night I was reading the news. I can't watch the news. I ain't watched the news in forever. I don't remember. It's just, it's pathetic. It's from one bad thing to the next. So I tried reading the news because I can scroll past and I can stop at things I want to see. But I hit one last night, boy, it just really stuck in my cross. told Robinson, I can't even read the news without getting mad. There was a picture of a dude, I was kind of a crew cut, had some numbers tattooed over his eye, but he looked meaner than a three-eyed snake. I mean, that joker looked rough. And here's the deal. He kept his three-year-old daughter in a dog kennel. And apparently, she was crying and wanted out of the dog kennel, and he brutally beat her to death. And then he pled no contest in court, which means I'm guilty, but I don't want to be punished for it. That is not natural human behavior. That There's not a person in my mind, there's not a person on this planet mean enough to do that to anybody, much less their own three-year-old daughter. I believe there's a lot of demonic possession going on in things today. I believe a lot of the things that people that are doing that are as hateful and as brutal as they are take some demonic depression in there to, to do those kind of things. Now, I've said this a lot of times, and I fully believe this. If we were given spiritual lives to see what's going on around us, I believe we'd be scared to death. If we could see the battles between the angels and the demons and the things that's going on, and I know those battles take place because Daniel in chapter 10, Daniel prayed. He prayed unto God, and we know from the text that God sent the answer to his prayer. Three weeks have gone by. Daniel hasn't heard one single word from God. He hasn't heard one single. He hadn't seen a prayer, an uh, uh, answer to his prayer. But in verse number 10 or chapter 10, verse 12. The angel said, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard. That means that the minute you prayed, God heard you. And I am come for thy words. I came to bring an answer to your prayer. He says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. That means twenty-one days ago when you prayed, I left with the answer to your prayer. But for twenty-one days... The devil and the demons of hell have fought against me till finally Michael, one of the chief priests, which is the archangel, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. So if it happened then, and the Word of God doesn't give us anything to change it, then there's spiritual warfare going on now. I truly believe if we could see what's going on around us, I believe we'd pray differently. We pray for the protective hedge of God around us now. We pray for the protective hedge of God around our family now. We pray that like Job, we know that he had a protective hedge around Job, and that the devil couldn't touch Job. We know that from the conversation. We saw it on Sunday. But if we could see what that protective hedge is actually protecting us from, I believe we'd pray a little more earnestly. God, whatever you do, don't break down that hedge. Whatever you do, don't let the angels get out from around me, God. Keep, keep us protected. So I don't know, that's just, that's just my thoughts. I read some commentaries and stuff, and most, most theologians, most scholars do believe um, that demonic possession is still the same, but it's just kind of a topic that I saw, was wondering. So Philip preached Jesus. They heard the Word of God. They received the Word, and the Bible says here that there was great joy in that city. Remember what city it was? New York. Los Angeles. It, 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 was some, 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 it was New Orleans. Yeah. I'm going to hit something in a minute. Somebody said, wait a minute, I'm from there. I better just shut up and leave it alone. It was Samaria. And, and it says that there was great joy in Samaria. Now, verse number 9 says, but. But's a hinge word. Now, I love but when it's followed by God. Because that means it not matter how sick you are, but God. It doesn't matter how bad the situation is, but God doesn't matter what's going on in life and the world, but God. When but God shows up, everything changes. But when there's great joy in the whole city and everybody's happy and people are receiving the word greatly and then you see but, that means it's not going to be a good thing. Anytime God is doing a great work, the devil's going to do his best to get involved and mess it up. Anytime God is moving among people, the devil's going to try to get in. Verse number 9 says but. There was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was, a, some, was some great one. So, so I want to point out something very important in today's church. It says the whole city is full of joy. The whole city is rejoicing. There's great gladness. There's lots of happiness there in the entire city. But one man, one man. It doesn't take an army. It doesn't even take a group to destroy peace in a church. It doesn't take a whole band of people to come in and destroy peace within a church. It takes one, one grumbler, one complainer, one that don't like it because it ain't their way, one to go around and sow discord within the church, which, by the way, God points out he hates that, It only takes one. Let me just give you a little something right there. If somebody wants to come to you grumbling about something going on, don't listen to their garbage. If you're you're happy, let them know you're happy or either walk off. I'm just saying there are a lot of these Simons walking around who will pull you down, who will cost your joy. They will make you think things are what they're not. If you're happy where you are, let them know it. Try to help them get up out of the gutter. If they want to stay down there, let them stay down there by themselves. But don't let them pull you down in there with them. Well, I don't know that all. I I was just thinking, you know, if I was riding on a wagon and it had 100 wheels and 99 of them were working good, that's almost an enjoyable trip. The 99 is completely unnoticed. They're doing everything like they're supposed to do. But one squeaky, stinking wheel can mess up the whole trip because you got to listen to it squeak the whole time you're riding. All I'm saying is either oil the wheel or take it off, chain up the axle, and ride without it. Well, that's all free. They they don't don't have mobile homes. They don't know I'm about to take a tire off and chain up an axle, do you? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, anyway, there's great joy in the whole city except for Simon. Simon's a sorcerer. He has the power of Satan. He's able to do things. He he has some power about him. You see that in there. But but he knows that what he has is nothing compared to what Philip is doing. Philip is casting out demons. Philip is healing all manner of sickness and getting rid of diseases. Now, if you remember just a few weeks ago, how remember we looked, there was a oneness in the church. You all remember that? When we first started in the early days of the church, after the Holy Spirit came, there was a oneness. They were all together in one accord. Acts 2.1 At the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place verse 46 they continuing daily in one accord in the temple breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart acts 4:24 and they heard they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said lord thou art god which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, Acts five twelve by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Here in our text, in chapter 8, verse number 6, the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. The devil can't stand that. The devil can't stand a church in one accord. The devil can't stand Christians in one accord. The devil can't stand for you and I to love each other, support each other, hold on to each other, because Jesus Christ said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. When the world sees the church loving one another and loving people, they know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. The devil can't stand that. So he does everything he can to try to tear that down. So what he did, if you remember the first step, he came in and he tried to mess it up with money. And I'm surprised he didn't do a good job there. Because if you want to get somebody out of church, just start talking about their billfold. I'm saved all the way up to here and from here on up. But right about here, leave me alone. So the first thing he did with Ananias and Sapphira is he, start, he starts getting in there with money, and he tries to break it in. But, but then he comes in, and he tries to cause confusion. Remember the Grecians complaining because our widows aren't cared for properly, and so he tries to put disorder, confusion in the church. Then he resorts to murder, and he has Stephen murdered. He tries to kill one of the key members of the church, one of the first deacons to take him out of none of that work. So now he's going to try false doctrine and now he's going to try impersonation Simon it says which before before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria giving out that himself was some great one Simon has a reputation and he thoroughly enjoys his reputation He likes feeling as though he's important. He likes people thinking that he's something special, that he's some great thing. But he sees the things that that Philip is doing. And what Philip is doing is a threat to him because he knows he don't have that kind of power. I mean, he's got some stuff, but he knows he don't have that. In any time God is at work, watch out for the Simons. We got revival coming this week. Anytime revival is anywhere near, watch out for Simon. Anytime God is working in a church, watch out for Simon. Anytime God is using a church to to reach a people, to feed a people, to to help a people, to bless a people, anytime that, that God is working, watch out for Simon. Because the devil ain't worried about a Christian sitting on a pew. You ain't bothering him none. The devil ain't worried about somebody that'll come sit in a church but then not take the gospel to where they work, not talk about Jesus Christ, not let Christ show through them. The devil's not worried about a Christian on a pew, but he's also not worried about a church just going through the motion. He don't care if we have church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He don't care if we do women's meetings on Tuesdays, men's meetings on Thursdays, and half-dead prayer meetings on Friday. He couldn't care less. As long as the power of God's not in it, he's not worried about it. But when God shows up, When God starts working in a church, watch out for the Simons because the devil's going to start trying to put things in. Whenever you're working on something like he's alive, whenever you're trying to do something that the gospel would be spread, that God would use you not just to reach the lost, but to be a blessing to the Christians, to to lift up people's spirits and to be a blessing and to give hope to people. And, And you begin preparing something and praying the way that this church prays in preparation for this event, expect opposition. When you get ready to have a revival coming this weekend, and you got groups coming, and you got preachers coming, and I truly want to see a revival, I want to see our spirit revived. I want to see us lifted up in such a way that by the time we do, he's alive, there's an anointing dripping off of us. I want the power of God in this place. I want to be used by God. I don't want to be sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. I don't want this church to go through the motions. I don't want to come here from 10, 30 to 12 on Sunday morning and walk off and it be a checklist. I want a meeting with the Holy Spirit of God. I want to see souls saved. I want to see lives changed. I I want to see broken marriages mended and prodigal children come home. And it all happens through the power of God. But when you start praying for revival, seeking revival, looking for revival, Simons are coming. The devil's going to try to take some inside. He's not going to probably bring somebody off the street to come in and try to mess it up. He's going to put some Simons off the pew already to put the grumbling in the house. I'm just saying, if you ain't doing nothing, don't worry about opposition. But if you're praying and expecting God to do something, expect opposition and you won't be surprised when it comes. Amen? Prayer. Prayer. Anybody praying this week? Anybody praying for the revival? I want to pray for the sick. Lord knows I do, but I hope we're praying for revival. I hope we're praying for God to to move in this place. I hope we're praying for a great revival for us, for us. It's okay to pray for yourself. It's okay to pray for God. Send a revival in us. Charge us. Encourage us. Strengthen us. Anoint us to be used by you because we got something big coming to be used for And if we do that without an anointing, then it's sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. So I I hope we're all praying earnestly in one accord together for revival. And I hope we're praying earnestly in one accord for he's alive, that God would do a great work. But when we do that stuff, Simons are coming. When, When we begin to get serious about prayer, the attacks of the devil are coming. Verse number 10 says, To whom they all gave heed time. 752. We're good. Let's preach. To whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God, and to him they had regard, because of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Now, remember, "but" is a hinge word, right? But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. But verse number 13 says that Simon himself believed also. He was baptized. He continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. That's awesome, right? Simon done come in and got saved. Mm mm. Mm mm. got an imposter coming in the house. He even follows through with baptism. We'll find out. It's all about the tension, the, the intentions. Remember, even at. Why you do what you do is as important as what you do. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason is the same thing as the wrong thing. Doing something in the church for personal gratification is trying to steal God's glory. Doing anything with wrong motives is wrong. So what we'll see as we go on in the story is Simon's motives are wrong. He doesn't want salvation. Well, let's just look on at the story right here, what he says, because what he is is, is, is he's, a, he's, a, he's a trickster. He's an imposter. It says in verse 14 that when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. They called out the big guns, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet it was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid there their hands on them. They received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that, And through the laying of the hands of the apostles, the hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. There's your first giveaway. He thought he could buy the power. He thought he could buy salvation, saying, Give me also this power that whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Here's what we see in the text. Simon's power is real, but it's satanic power. Don't don't think that the devil ain't a bad unit. the, The least demon of hell is a million times stronger than all of us put together. But the strongest demons of hell combined with Satan don't even have the power that God has under his little fingernail. That's why we fight battles on our knees we have nothing to offer against satan we have nothing to offer against the least of the demons but when we go to god through prayer they have nothing against that so so simon has real satanic powers he's done a lot of mysterious things things that people can't explain and so people regarding as something special well simon recognizes that he's no match for the kind of power that philip has he knows that that what philip has is some bad stuff. It's a real deal thing, and that he knows that he can't take on Philip, so he tries to disguise himself. He tries to to fit in. He tries to become a church member. He tries to find a spot on the pew and make sure he sings in the choir and get baptized and and be at all the events. He tries to to work his way in, but but he goes through everything, desiring the power. He wanted to be able to do the miracles. See something important. Here in this story, it's not the miraculous things that are leading these people to salvation. It is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The people responded to the message. Simon responded to the miracles. See, they wanted different things. The, the people, the people were, they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were drawn by the Holy Spirit at the preaching of the gospel. But Simon, he's just amazed by the deeds. He just wants to be able to do the power so that he can impress people. See, the people wanted salvation. The people wanted grace. The people wanted mercy. Am I getting up close to anybody right now about what we want? The the people wanted forgiveness. They, they, They wanted the grace of God on their lives. All Simon wanted was the power for the personal recognition, for the personal glorification. People were won by the message. Simon was only amazed By the miracles. If the name of Jesus Christ doesn't do it for you, then nothing will. It's all about Christ. The people believed in the gospel that was being preached, and because of that, they were saved. Simon just believed in the miracles. He wanted the same power. Therefore, we see that he's still lost. So what Simon coveted and what he wanted out of all this was not the master. He just wanted the miracles response to the gospel of Jesus Christ is to surrender our life because we're responding to the Master. It says in verse 14 that when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. God has used Philip to reach Samaria, the place that the Jews don't like. Now the, the disciples are coming to Samaria. So I tell you, it's been probably five or six years since the resurrection of Jesus, five to six years since the ascension on the hill, five to six years since Jesus gave them the commandment to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So we're looking at about five or six years later, but the apostles are where? They're still at Jerusalem. Remember, we saw it in verse 1 here in chapter 8. Saul was consenting unto his death. the time there was great persecution against the church was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. It ain't up there. You have to look in your own Bible. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Except the apostles. We looked at it last week. I wonder wonder what the apostles thought when they heard what was going on in Samaria. Because they know what Jesus told them. They know what they were supposed to do. I wonder what they thought. They must have thought a pretty good bit of it, because they sent the two biggest guns they had down there. I mean, they didn't send him, but they sent Peter and John. You know what I mean? I just, my way of looking, that's kind of like the top cheese to me. That, that was the top shelf right there among the twelve. That they, they were the ones. Peter was one that was always running his mouth to Jesus, and John was the one in the bosom whom Jesus loved. That's the two that come down to check out and see what's going on. here's what I I wonder. Now, this isn't casting a stone at any of the apostles. This is just to make a point, and if if I'm right or wrong, it's okay. The point's going to be just as good. Jesus, how many of you know that God's ever given you something to do and you didn't do it? Thank you. Two of you besides me. Three of you besides me. Sometimes God gives you stuff to do, people to witness to, places to go, something to do, a text to send, somebody to call, and we don't. Can I tell you God's purpose will be accomplished with you or without you? The only thing you're doing is losing the blessing for it. See, here's what I wonder about this, and I'm going to have to finish because it's time, and they're going to cut all them children out, and we'll have to go catch them in the parking lot if we don't get done in time to get them. Jesus, on that hill at the ascension, told the apostles, go preach the word. Go preach the gospel. To where? Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria. they ain't been nowhere near Samaria. In the uttermost parts of the earth, right? Where are the apostles at? In Jerusalem. So Philip had to go to Samaria. All I'm saying is God's will will be performed. If you won't do it, God will find somebody that will. But you understand the one that does it is the one that gets the blessing. The one that does it is the one that gets the reward. But remember what we talked about at the judgment seat of Christ on the judgment day. There at the seat of Christ for Christians that there will be awards given. That's for the ones that went. But remember what else there's going to be? There will be loss of rewards. I just believe God's going to say, hey, see that big old mountain of stuff right there? All that was yours. You remember when I told you to go do this? Yep, you lost that one. Remember that? Yep, yep, lost that one. Remember, remember the day you going? Yep, lost. My my pile of didn't do's is going to be a whole lot bigger than my pile of did do's. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I I don't I don't know that that's what happened here, but I don't know how else to put it. But because I do know that Jesus told the apostles where to preach the gospel and i know that even when persecution came on the church and the christians scattered the apostles stayed put but it didn't stop the word of god from being preached. well i don't really have time to keep on going we're eight o'clock about out of time i'm not through but i guess i'll be through for a couple of weeks verse 15 i'll leave off with it it just says who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the holy ghost so Lord willing, we'll pick up there in a couple of weeks. Next Wednesday night will be Revival. I hope you'll be here all week. Sunday morning, Brian Free and Assurance will be here. Um, I tried to find a preacher. God gave me a very clear direction. I'll be preaching Sunday morning. I'll be preaching on Revival. I'm excited about that night. Brian Free will be back with us. Um, Our our missionary, our evangelist will be back with us Sunday night. Be with us Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday's here on Monday. Um, Karen Peck, New River Tuesday and Wednesday. So I hope you guys can be here every night, but I want to ask you, pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for this church. Pray for the power of God to move in this church. Pray for a hedge of protection around this church. Because when God's moving, the enemy's going to perk up and pay attention. If the devil ain't after you, you ain't doing something right. Amen. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, thank you for this precious book. God, thank you that I can sit down and read this book, and it shows me the ways of life and rights and wrongs and up and down. But most of all, it shows me the way of salvation. It shows me the blood of Jesus. It shows me the forgiveness of sin, the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Thank you, God, for loving us that much, God. Thank you for being here in the midst tonight, Lord. I pray for everybody in this place. Lord, I pray your sweet Holy Spirit would touch each heart and touch each family represented, God. I pray you'd go before us as we go out, put a hedge of protection around each and every one of us, God. I pray you'd go before and prepare the ways. God, I pray you'd use us in our workplaces tomorrow. May people see Christ in us and Christ through us, God. May we be a living testimony that people can see your goodness and good grace. God, I pray you'd help us to preach clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no other name that matters. Pray you'd help us, God, to be bold, to be efficient. In Jesus' name we pray.